In this episode, John and I explore Vivek's 10 truths, and we discuss if this ideology has the capacity to unite or will they further divide American citizens in the current political and social environment. We believe these 10 truths are not only relevant to society and politics in the United States, but relevant to all the world that we live in generally. Take a listen as John describes the current political environment right now. What's been going on in the media lately uh, in the United States, we're undergoing a another election cycle, which are that's, you know, dude, the last election cycle is one of the biggest reasons I got rid of my social media. It was just like, oh, what are these people? I don't want to see human beings in this state of mind. Like, it's scary to watch people you like, you know, attacking each other for things they don't even understand. It's just like a tribalism, you know, but Speaking of that, like, it seems like we need some sort of a change, right? Uh, we need some more accountability and uh, responsibility because we, we live in a world where everybody thinks they have rights. They're all entitled, you know, and I shouldn't say the whole world because we know that's not true. But for industrialized nations, even in Thailand, a developing nation, you know, kids are becoming more entitled. They just are because that's the way the media is set up globally. It's all, you know, it's done by this globalist ideal and uh, those people really just want all your money anyways but so we need somebody to shake us up and during this you know i was watching the debate and i was just so kind of like just disgusted with these people i was just like my god it's like a high school cafeteria dude like there's just like so you have all these Republican guys, right? And uh, obviously Trump's skipping out on it. He just doesn't think it's important to waste his time, which, you know, whatever, whatever floats his boat. But um, in this election cycle, you have this new guy that we spoke of last podcast, Vivek Ramaswamy. And uh, I think he's one of those leaders, you know, he's not, um, he's not a professional politician, right? So um, he's coming in as a CEO, a big businessman. And one of his ideas is that I don't know if it's in his 10 truths. I don't think so. But one of the things he's pushing is that uh, citizens of the United States must commit to civil service in one form or the other before they can vote and or they have to pass the civics test. So what he's doing, I think, is he's trying to get America's back into doing their like uh, service to the nation. Right. And I think this is like, like you were talking about a rite of passage, right? A rite of passage. Um, unfortunately it's imposed by the government, but he's saying that, yeah, when you graduate high school, you have to pass a civics test with a certain score. So you know what you're voting for. So you understand the system that you're participating in, or you can do civil service. And so I'm sure a lot of people will do civil service and that could be like military for six months or, or firefighting or helping law. And, you know, in, in uh, Colombia, you guys have that where the youth go in and they participate with the police or the military. In Thailand, they have that. They're trying to do away with it here in Thailand, which is strange. And when I was young, being an American, I thought that was a bad idea. Like, why would you make them do anything? You know, like, but now I'm just like. Okay, I don't want to fight a war, but if it's a requirement for me to graduate high school and become an American adult for me to do six months of service, I, I think that's fine. Like, I, I'm actually for it now. It's weird as you get older, right? Your perspective changes. But anyways, that's the rite of passage. So we have this new guy, Vivek, and he that's one of his proposals is that people have to 
uh, give before they can receive, right? You can't just, you're, we're, we're not, he doesn't want to see entitled people anymore. It doesn't work. Um, but he says like, when you take part in something, you get this sense of ownership and you do believe that you're a part of something bigger because you're serving the nation, right? And everybody's grateful when you do something like that. And so he's trying to get like this, this way of getting the new youth, the new generations to really to get back more involved with their country and become better democratic citizens, but also that sense of service, like you were saying, for men, service is where ultimate power comes out. You know, so anyways, <laughs> I thought that was very interesting. He also says no cell phones uh, before the age of 16. Um, I would go further personally, but I'm pretty on that front. I'm kind of radical about it, uh, probably because my own experience, I didn't have a smartphone for till 35 or something or 30 or something. I don't even remember. Um, just didn't want a phone like that. <laughs> but he's saying, yeah, they can't use a smartphone, no social media. I, he didn't say smartphone. He says social media um, before the age of 16. I would go further, 18. Anyways, right. what do you think about that? What do you think about that? Like as if that was like a mandatory, how would you feel? Does Australia have some sort of mandatory service? Mandatory service, no. But I do think it's a good idea if cultivated in the right way. I think what we need to do is, is bring a little bit more respect back for our countries and then give, you know, create our identity and then give, bring back this idea that people should be proud of where they come from. They're, they're, it's, it's a bit of nationalism, but I, I think it's a, it can be a really positive thing, in, in, uh, especially if you're creating identity, you're, you're getting people to work together, and then you're also giving them skills. So it's like they're serving the country, but they're also learning valuable skills. They might be learning how to defend themselves, defend the country. They might be learning, I don't know, how to sow potatoes. It doesn't matter. They can come at it after that six months, and they can maybe try a whole bunch of different skills. Uh, I think for men as well that had never had to be disciplined and having um, having a boot in the ass might be the best thing for a young person to experience a little bit of adversity uh, and, and hardship. That's definitely going to change them in a positive way. I think most it will definitely change most young people. So yeah, I think if it's done in the right way and, and then we're educating young people about this is the privilege of being you know, an American, an Australian or whatever. So many people want to come here and they want to, they want to live in this society. You know, you, you, in a way you should earn that, you, you know, you should earn that. It's the old Greek, um, Greek citizen thing. You should earn that. And you, you don't just get citizenship. Um, and I think it'd be very valuable for a lot of people. And it's, it's a really a small amount of time, six months, you know, might seem like a long time for a, a young person, but you know, in other countries, it might be two years, three years, or it might be much longer. So if it's six months, yeah, I, I can see a lot of good in it, even though I could see it could probably piss a lot of people off. Yeah. If you're not doing anything good, you know, if you're not pissing anyone off, you're probably not doing anything good or, or new or innovative. Um, or you're going back to a more traditional state, <laughs> which progressives hate. Yeah, and people um, are also lazy, and people also don't like. Uh, sometimes they don't want their privileges encroached, and they they want to do shit their way. And not all people want to contribute because they're selfish, you know. But, but as I said, I think you can tackle it that way. But yeah, you know, obviously people, some people might not agree with it, but maybe it's the bigger picture that matters more than that. 
Yeah. How did they how do they get those privileges or what 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 provides these people, these individuals that might not want to? What what provides them privileges? Well, yeah, it's like it's the government and the agreement that we have, right? And with the, the social with... contract amongst all of us that yeah, that's where we get so to try to take privileges and rights without helping preserve those yeah. by giving back doesn't make any sense to me. Like that's the thing I'm pretty upset about the modern culture is this is what we're dealing with. Everybody feels entitled, right? Like, oh, my privileges, my rights. Well, well, where do you get those rights? How do you even have rights? They're not just God given, dude. Like we like to say they are God given because they are, because God works through us and we provide privileges and rights. So I get maybe they are God given, but you got to work for them, right? Like that's the way I see it. Like we're just making people just weak man and and if the people are weak then the nation is weak and if the nation is weak then the world is weak you know and i i don't know just the way i think about it so yeah i'm looking for a shake up on this i i would really hope that we can recorrect because everybody's getting a headache out of it the kid loses because they become an adult eventually you know the parents finally stop providing for them and they got to get out in the world and then they're unhappy with every job they have because they're not conditioned for it the parents are unhappy because they know they failed their child to an extent, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that, and that they're dealing with all that kid's emotions and all that disrespect as they get older, you know, you just want to go to play, you know, soccer with Angel and it's a big problem. Like why? Like that, that should be fun for kids, right? Go get some exercise. It's, and, and it's also kids. like a, it's also a lack of gratitude by like people don't have anything to compare <laughs> their situation with and they're saying, Oh, I live in America, you know, we're all victims and you know, society's fucked and capitalism is difficult. Yeah. Some of those things are true depending on where you're, where you are, but there's no gratitude that you're in a developed country with an abundance of opportunity and, and ways to, to kind of transcend through class and ways to make money and, and ways to be educated and an and, and opportunity. Like, I think that's what young people forget because they, they haven't got a baseline of, Although they haven't got other things or, or countries that in life experience to compare their reality with. I think if they did, it would change their perspective. But ingratitude is a big thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel that we're more grateful uh, for the things that we have when we know, you know, how they come about, you know, and how 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 also how not all other people have them because they aren't just natural we're not born with these things, right? They've been constructed by societies. Um, and you got to be grateful for that. But for some reason, people aren't grateful for all the people that came before them, you know, like, or we're forgetting about that. And that's what I think is really cool about Vivek's idea is it kind of unifies. It, it requires us all to have a similar experience, right? Uh, it makes that experience a, a national experience where everybody's got to kind of do it, you know? <laughs> and there's lots um, of ways it could be done too like it could you could they could give you options about how you could spend that time you know police military like you said firefighting uh oh, they said on the medical stuff. front you can you can do you know yeah. volunteer with start, the hospital that'd volunteer. be awesome you know like for hospital volunteers or even starting some kind of um starting six months of a trade that was people that the government needed that was in demand that would help the country like medicine's obviously yeah. a good one like just get people started six months of a free 
maybe free education for that six months. And then after that, they can decide for themselves if they want to keep paying it. There's a million ideas. It's um, I think that what matters is, you know, I, I, I is a government, a new government brave enough to try something new, to implement change, to kind of, like you said, wake people up, or do we going to just keep going back to what we've done before and, and kind of get the same things. It's like, it's radical ideas maybe seem really radical, but maybe that's just what needs to be done before you get some, some significant change. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I feel like, like, like I was talking about earlier, we're in this like kind of a, a globalized world. Right. And I feel like a lot of the, the politicians and the politics within countries are wrapped up in that. Right. And so I, it feels like, so when I was watching the debate, I was just watching these guys bickering and talking about nothing important, like things that like are not important. You know, Vivek standing there because he is a true outsider just saying, hey, let's talk policy. But nobody's listening to Vivek. And he's like right on cue. Like and he had some good moments. But man, he was shut down by all these like uh, just you got all these politicians like Chris Christie was like, put your hand down Vivek. Like and they keep calling him a like a on-the-job training, all this stupid shit when, when we know that Donald Trump was basically on-the-job training too, and he fucking killed it. He, like, really helped the United States globally and inside our borders. It's just the media ran away with a different story, and people follow the media. They're sheeple, right? They just watch the news over and over again, and you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So if you're spending your time with Don Lemon on N of CNN every single night, well, you're kind of like him. Your, re your reactions to things will be like him. And it's not just Don Lemon, it's everywhere. The media is disgusting. Um, so <laughs> you have uh, this guy trying to break away from the old political establishment, right? Um, <clears throat> and he just didn't get any airtime. And you just saw a bunch of adults who are fighting to be the president of the United States, acting like high school cafeteria like bullies almost you know like maybe not even bullies but like, like pretty much man just saying stupid stuff mean stuff disrespectful stuff to each other and it's like my god no wonder the world's screwed <laughs> but Vivek's pretty badass so he's a uh... so there's that civil service thing that he he I mean you know have you heard of AmeriCorps no America no. so that's like a volunteer thing in the United States and I think that that should just be turned into that you know, because they do get paid. It's very minimal, but they do get paid and it's a year of service and there's all sorts of work. You can even go abroad. You even can go help farmers in different countries. There's things you can do to spread the, you know, American, <laughs> whatever, ideals. Um, <laughs> but there's so many things. It's not just military police. No, there's so many things. What, you know, drainage ditches, like some of it's laborious, but not all of it. Um, and you could have them sign up and choose their own. <laughs> but Vivek has these 10 truths. And so that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about is see if you thought like, so there's this guy who's definitely different than all the rest, but he has a very, he's very thoughtful and well-planned out. Like he's, he's got, I mean, he's written three books about it. So his talking points are basically right out of his book. Um, <laughs> but he has these things he calls the 10 truths and um, he framed them as the Thomas Paine common sense. So when you look at them, when he goes on his speeches, he has these little pamphlets that he hangs out and then he has them up behind him. Right. And it's almost like this weird, like 
Ten Commandments or Ten Truths or whatever you want to say. But they're called the Ten Truths. And uh, I want to ask you, so this guy, his, according to his words, is trying to reunify the United States. He's talking about revolution, but in the peaceful sense, like a revolution of ideals to get people more, um, like you were saying earlier, like to build pride in your own country. Um, I mean, you're stuck there. And I'm, you mentioned nationalism. And, you know, that's not a bad thing unless you're looking at a specific connotation. Um, then, yes, it could be bad. Ethnocentricity is bad for sure. But I don't think that's nationalism. It's like you own a house and you want your house to be clean. You want it to be strong and to weather the storm. So you nurture your house, you know, and you give your house praise, gratitude, right? Gratitude for the house, for your nation. So he wants to do that. And he has these 10 truths that he's hoping, I guess, is his platform to unify people. But I want to go through a couple of them and just ask what you feel, because some of them are controversial, if you ask me. Um, and maybe he's just trying to get attention. I'm not sure. But number one, and this, I, I know this is something we've talked about. And also, how easy is it going to get or to, how easy is it going to be to get people to kind of agree with this stuff? How many people will it push away? So number one is he says God is real. So do you see that as a controversial topic? And do you think that a lot of people can jump onto that message? And support that message yeah so i, I think with, with some of this stuff that like you said is trying to unite, unite people and create some common values that you know regardless of what party you run you can uh collaborate you can connect you can um make maybe not collaborate but definitely just have empathy for the other person and find some kind of middle ground right i think that's a really reasonable thing to do i think for a lot of people, this one will be powerful. God is real. You should be proud in what you believe in uh, and, and your faith. Um, but I think a lot of young people might come unstuck with this one in the sense that they they might be more agnostic or they might be more um, or they might just be plain uh, atheists. Uh, so they might not gel with that as much. But I think that the majority of people will. I think that most people have a faith. I think that faith serves the majority of people. Uh, I think that being proud of that and, and being sure of that is probably a good thing. It's probably better to have some kind of faith than not have a faith in lots of ways. You know, if you're you're a, you're an atheist or you're an, you're an agnostic and you're you're not clear on your identity or your ethical compass, which I'm sure most people are. But yeah, I think it's a it's a good one. I think. Do you think that would alienate? the those that maybe identify as agnostic or atheist do you think that'll alienate them and maybe become a divisive yes uh, i do i think some some people will just reject reject those 10 truths based on that in the sense that this guy oh, he's a religious nut or he's too religious or you know it's about god but you know i think uh, it will also pull a lot of people together so it's 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 uh i think it's quite audacious in a, in probably a positive way you know, saying God is real in the sense that, okay, we, we know that he believes in God. He wants all the people that believe in God to come together. Uh, that's definitely a, a good thing, I think, and more than a bad thing. Um, but yeah, you know, there'll be some people that pushed away, but I think it'll be the minority. So I don't think it's controversial, but I think it's, um, I think it's powerful. Yeah, I worry that, like me personally, I believe in God because I, I think humans need something greater than themselves 
and plus for me it's undeniable because of things i've seen and experienced and the and the words that i've read in the bible and whatnot but aside from that <laughs> uh, i just see it as a a story to help you get through the toughest times in life right it's just a, a, a life manual <laughs> you know for lack of a better phrase you know phrasing yeah it's like a life manual whatever um so yeah anyways i'm concerned like i i believe i think it's a wonderful thing i think it's a unifying force but there are a lot of people out there uh and this includes in the media that are really against that idea and so it seems it's weird to say this but it seems like a radical statement right even though it's just a, a statement um, yeah because he's not saying which God is saying there is some higher being out there. So that unifies quite a few religions. And I think in a positive way, but a lot of people might, or some people might just say, well, well, why, why are you forcing me to believe in a force that I don't believe exists? And that's going to definitely alienate them. Um, but I think that'd be the minority because I think most people, I think most people in the United States probably are faith driven, but maybe the, the younger generation, they're a little bit jaded. Um, but who knows, man, it might, it might kind of push them to find their faith. I don't know, but I think it will unify more than, than, uh, alienate. Let's put it that way. Okay. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. Very cool. Yeah. I think that if people are willing to talk about stuff more, like, I think a lot of people are scared to talk about certain topics. Um, in fact, he talks about that quite a bit, um, the health of a democracy is the willingness for the citizen to be able to speak their mind in public. Something like that. Like that's how you gauge the health of a nation is the citizens uh, comfort or willingness in being able to speak their own mind. Uh, and right now in the U S nobody, everybody's scared to speak their mind, you know, <laughs> might get canceled or something. <clears throat> um, all right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, so this one I also think is quite controversial, but let's just get into it. So he says number two, um, and I just want to know what you think about that. And also if you think it will be divisive in any way. So number two, second truth is there are two genders. Right. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's going to blow people's minds. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people, you know, this is a pretty red hot issue at the moment, but when you say gender, to me, that's talking about the physiology, the physiology of you know male and female. And at the moment, you know, the there's the pronouns thing. It's about people don't identify as as a man or a woman. But for me, in my is that mind, happening in Australia too? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think as much, to be honest. But I could be wrong. I might have to look up some crazy articles about people doing crazy things to to find out and let you know but um but i think yeah look i would say i agree with that i think there's spectrums of masculinity and femininity but i think that there's a, lo a lot of these debates about our genders have been really pernicious for most people i think they're causing a lot of harm uh i think that young children don't need to be educated about sex when they you know when they're six years old and, and gender and what they identify with all of that shit is, is I think just dangerous, man. You know, we don't want to be encouraging young people to, to irre irreversible operate like surgeries, operations, you know, basically mutilizing, mutilizing 
mutilating their genitals. Uh, all that's, I think, really, really dangerous, you know, and there's the the, the hormone therapies, et cetera. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's pretty simple. Maybe I'm ignorant about it. I mean, I probably, a lot of people would probably say I am, but I would say that, yeah, for me, it's pretty clear cut. There are biologically, you are what you are. And then how you feel about yourself and your sexuality, that's a different thing. But I think we should have biologically men. We have to say that they're biologically, they're the makeup of a man. And then a woman is the makeup of a woman. And then your sexuality is a different thing based on maybe what you feel and what you're attracted to. But I think that's a different thing and that can be treated differently. Okay. Yeah. It's a very, very good point. Um, it is controversial because a lot of people, JK Rowling, you know, was tried to be canceled because she said a woman is this and they canceled her, dude. She lost. Well, she's pretty, pretty badass and pretty, she's pretty set up, but that was just one example. And then uh, Dave Chappelle and then Kevin Hart and you get all these people that are famous and they're just like, it's pretty obvious, you know, and all Dave Chappelle said was like, he stands with JK Rowling uh, that everybody in this room can agree that everybody living today passed through the legs of a woman. And that's what he said. And then of course, here we go. And all this controversial, you know, um, but I liked what you said. Um, so that's why I think it's controversial perhaps, right? Cause it's just such a culture war in the U S um, but I like what you said. So on a biological level, physiological, right? Physical, uh, there are, in for the most part, just two poles, two poles, right? There's the the, the feminine and the masculine. Um, but then I think what's really important, because I do agree, I mean, there's the X and the X and the Y chromosomes, you know, I mean, it's pretty, pretty straight. It's pretty common sense, actually. But unfortunately, it's not in the US. There's piss a lot of people off by saying that, right? Um, <laughs> but I think you're right, like, we should not put the kids like at six years old and, and, and this you know, Donald Trump was, I've been kind of just watching it, watching it to see what's happening because the U.S. to me is on fire. Like it's in the, you know, like it's undergoing something very big and um, whether it's a change of government, like for the, like, you know, from like Soviet to Russia or back, it's like a change like that or it feels like it to me. So I've kind of been watching who are, who's at play, what's going to happen. And Trump stood up there and said, who would have thought that I would have to stand up here and say, I will ban uh, genital mutilation for our children. He said, I can't believe I have to say that. He's like, if I said this 10 years ago, you guys would have thought I was fucking crazy. But I stand up here today saying, I will stop that. And he's like, serious, right? And it's like, and I believe him. Um, but it is weird. We've gone into this stage of like, we've gotten so sexualized, right? in the US that we're, we're teaching six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds about their future sexual relations and options. That's just, to me, just seems pretty strange that we've gone that far. Um, I shouldn't even say we, because I am definitely not a part of any of that. Um, but let's move away from that. It's pretty sad, but yeah, 
I think it's quite controversial. Gender identity or or, our sexual identity is different than gender, right? Gender is biological because we're dealing with genes. And then sexual identity could be, you know, my mom is a lesbian and that's totally fine. But, you know, I, you know, I don't know if it even has any weight because she doesn't say she's a man. Uh, She's definitely a feminine woman, um, but she's gay. And that's totally cool. But that's sexual identity. And usually that doesn't formulate till your teens, right? Your adolescence. And so I don't even think we should be talking about it until then. Uh, anyways, let's move on to number three for the sake of time. What do you think about this? Human flourishing requires requires fossil fuels. Yeah, it should say. I mean, you you got an electric vehicle, right? So uh, how do you just? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if uh, like a skateboard is an electric vehicle, <laughs> or my ability to move up mountains with my legs is you powered by like... my um powered by my iPod. Uh, yeah, look, I think it should say you know fossil fuel uh, human flourishing requires fossil fuels right now, right? Yeah. Because I think it does require fossil fuels right now. Because that's what we've done for so long, and and the transition is going to be tough. And the transition isn't always. It's not. It's it's. I think a lot of scientists are saying, and and people in power that saying that, just because it's an you know you're driving around an electric vehicle, they're not always the better, safer option for the environment. You know, you you gain something and you lose something else. So I think for us to change, we can't just drop what we're doing now and say, okay, no more coal, no more. Well, you know, no more fossil fuels and everybody's going to drive an electric car tomorrow. I think, I think we're looking if to do it smart, I think it would be a hundred year, like 50 years minimum to a hundred year transition of slowly building society in that direction. Because at the moment too, like there's a scramble for, for minerals. Like look at the cobalt mines in Africa, lithium mines, uh, which are mostly owned by Chinese. Yeah. And it's, and then these massive Chinese companies are they're causing a lot of damage and they're you know I think there's a, a huge cobalt cobalt um, resource or or like stores of it in underneath the Amazon um, jungle in Latin America like that's not good right so I think yeah I think what he's saying is I don't think he's saying we need fossil fueling fossil fuels forever I think he's saying that for us to our society to grow and, and change as we grow and also not to completely self-sabotage the country in, in you know because the reality is i think most countries there are in competition with other countries you know in in an economic economic fashion in global trade and then if the united states says tomorrow okay everyone's going electric cars everyone's going uh you know green energy we're going to put windmills everywhere whatever and then not everyone's going to play by those rules. So then then you guys or any country will be disadvantaged economically because you're you know the the transition if done too radically <clears throat> well I don't see China you know drastically changing their uh you know carbon emission policies because they want to be good for the environment, right? They're going to do it when they're ready and when they're not going to lose a ton of money and they're not going to be disadvantaged in a global market. So I think there's that to, to that's probably number 1 because if, if you said to the average American, let's go green, but it means that uh, our country would be poorer and there'd be less opportunities for your family and less opportunities, less money for the country, would they really want to do it, right? So I think that's that's a part of it too. So 
I think it's something to be ambitious for, but I think I think he's right. I think it's going to take a lot more time than just flipping it on its head and say, yeah, where it's it's time to flip the switch. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I watched a video, uh, a TED Talk on, I forget the name right now of the video. I hope it comes to me, but it's on electric vehicles. I think it's like the myth of electric vehicles or green energy or something. And he talks about, so he gives examples, right, about, um, well, all of us, you and I, when we work in the field, we omit carbon, CO2. Horses omit CO2. The difference between us, instead of the machine, thank you, industrialization, um, it, us is that we're a part of the system. So we're exhaling and the plants are inhaling and then we're inhaling the plants' oxygen, right? And so we become part of a system, um, whereas like these cars are not. And the people are, I think, are really ignorant to how much fossil fuels uh electric vehicles actually produce the, the difference between an electric vehicle it's it's an illusion right it's an illusion is that if you measure the carbon emissions you know if you put that in a garage an electric car in the garage turn it on you're not going to have co2 that's wonderful right but it's an illusion if you have a a, a traditional vehicle yeah there's gonna be a lot of co2 shit that, that can kill you the difference is is like the size of the measuring, right? Where the measuring is taking place. And so you have to charge your vehicle every hundred miles, you know, and wh where do we get our electricity? Well, 70% comes from coal and fossil fuels. Uh, that's how we get electricity. Yes, we have hydro. We don't have enough of it. And if you think about it, hydro dams are pretty destructive on the society too. Just having a hydro, you know, dams are just destructive. You're, you're clotting the veins, of the world when you build dams, you know, you're stopping the natural flow of things, which is highly destructive, um, but we just don't care because of electricity. So um, yeah, so my point is, is that actually the mining that it takes to produce a, a battery by itself is just horrible. You're saying it's under the Amazon, that is so scary because you need those minerals to create the batteries, which you don't with traditional batteries. These are the lithium, right? The high potency powered, batteries are something new and uh anyways yeah so between that battery uh the production of the parts the life of the the vehicle and the engine and the charging of the vehicle they say that actually it's not much better in fact it's worse in the 20 year window so i agree with you dude i think we should i think we should just have some good competition just let the electric vehicles you know compete with the fossil fuel outdo them but you've got to outdo them first you can't just force us on it uh, so that's pretty interesting stuff yeah fossil fuels um yeah it's pretty like, interesting it's, it's like having a fire and saying oh i've got this new energy and it's amazing keeps you warm I and mean, then it's like oh but and it's great for the environment but people don't know you have to burn the trees to keep the fire alive right it's burning all the trees and it's kind of like it's it's kind of really ironic i guess it, it's 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 i, I guess i a, a situational irony you know you people think they're driving their electric cars but i don't even know how many people even think that i think i think we have a connotation that electric cars are better for the environment because they're not emitting carbon dioxide right that's that's a that's a an axiomatic truth that's that's a, a no-brainer 
right? But where does the electricity come from to charge the cars in the first place? So yeah, that's a massive problem. But healthy competition in capitalism, maybe government give incentives, uh, you know, long-term strategies. Yeah, man. But, you know, I think, again, maybe it's not flicking the switch. It's a, it's a, it's a gentle transition over a long period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, let's just do a few more of these. I know that I don't know how much time you have, but let's do a few more of these. Uh, and I will actually am going to genuinely ask you what you think this means, because I'm still confused. I think I have an idea. Um, but number four, truth number four, he says reverse racism is racism. So what exactly is reverse racism? I'm asking you genuinely, like, because I'm trying to, I have my own idea, but I'm not sure if it's correct. Yeah, no, fair enough. I'm not an expert on this, um, but it's, to me, it's, it's got to be something about this concept of, you know, amongst the current zeitgeist that the, the racism amongst certain minority groups is bad racism. And that's the normal racism that we can see. And that's pretty obvious. You know, there's still microaggressions. There's still um, systemic racism to some degree. You know, as Vivek said, I think he said it eloquently, we're living in the best time that we've ever in, in modern society where, you know, there's so much opportunity and things are improving and equality is improving. I think reverse racism is the concept that, you know, that it's it's more against probably white people or people that are seen to be, uh, this this idea of white privilege, this idea of you know people are born into into power into privilege, uh, and therefore they should be persecuted at some level, or power should be taken away from them, or they've inherently done something wrong merely by just existing. So if you're a white person and you're born, you, you didn't you didn't plan that, you didn't choose that, you didn't have any say about that. And then all of a sudden people are criticizing you and people are, uh, yeah, people are basically, people are criticizing, attacking you. People are shaming you because of this, this privilege. That would be a sense of racism against you, even though it's, you know, you could say, oh, the power structures are that, you know, black people are disempowered and white people have all the power. So, you know, you guys, we're just taking back that power, creating equality. Well, probably not. I don't see that as equality. I see that as reverse racism, you know. So uh, I know a guy, for example, he was a teacher. He was young. He was reckless. He was drink driving. The cops pulled him over. He, he got busted. Uh, he had to go to court. His dad was a lawyer. Basically, he said because he was white, because it was his first offense, because his dad was a lawyer, uh, he paid a couple thousand dollars and he was barely even convicted. And he said, that was my white privilege. And he says, but fuck, I didn't really, you know, I was just being a young fool, right? I didn't end up in jail because I was white. I didn't choose that. Uh, he said, I learned from that and it was a stupid thing to do. But, um, you know, like, but then to then to turn around and blame him and to shame him for that and say, well, if you would have been this other minority, this is what would have happened to you. Well, then I think we're talking about what we're talking about reverse racism. I think that's what he's talking about. I could be wrong. Have I missed something? No, like I'm honest. Like that was an excellent, excellent explanation. And I would, I, I agree. You know, I, I think that's part of what I, part of what I saw it as. Um, but it, it like, 
and I don't know. See, I could have been way wrong because I was thinking like, I don't know if you ever watch um, comedy, stand up comedy. One thing you know is that like, uh, well, what I know, like people like Chris Rock and like uh, some of these other like uh, African-American um, comedians get a lot of their jokes are built around tearing down white people. And you could not have that the other way around. You know what I mean? Like if 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 a white person came out on stage and started like, like if you watch Chris Rock, or who's that other little dude? The uh, I like them both, but I, I sometimes Chappelle. can't. Yeah. No, not Ch well, but Chappelle too. Yeah. Chappelle's they, they... But, but Chappelle is like opens up. He makes fun of everybody, so that's I I I'm a little more forgiving towards him. Uh, because he's just making fun of everybody. Yeah. Um, but yes, this idea like, I don't know, that you can just get up on stage and tear apart white society and white people and white families at no repercussion. But if if the tables were turned, there'd be a witch hunt, right? A, a persecution would be underway of this person. And that's only would take one or two black jokes. Whereas like, like, I like Chris Rock, man, but I just can't watch his stand up anymore. It's just it's too much about like white people. And it's just like, dude, come on. There's more to humor than that. So I guess that was part of like what I thought it was, was there's this like two tiered system of of like, you know, ability to speak freedom of speech. Right. Like uh, if, if, if you're this per if you're this kind of person, you can talk about this because you are the oppressed version. Right. But I mean, 95%, 90% of white people are just as hard off as anybody else, right? It just so happens that some of the richest, most powerful people are white, right? But I mean, man, poverty, you can just ask Eminem, dude, like, there's a lot of poor white trash, you know, we call them white trash. There's a whole word for it. Um, but anyways... I guess we can move away from that, but I do like what you're saying is race, reverse racism is racism is probably this idea of the victim, right? The victim and the oppressor and assigning the titles of oppressor to one race. That is racism. Because you're yeah. saying all I of think you that's guys well said. I think that's well said because they're the oppressors and then they become and then the, then all of a sudden they're, they're valid you know, they're justified in be, them being persecuted, right? And attacked yeah. and as a group. And then really, well, that's not really fair for the individual. And then even if it's it has been based on systems, flawed systems in the past, which, you know, everyone's well aware of, right? But then that, that doesn't make it justifiable in the, in the modern age. Yeah. I, I don't think so. You know, like reverse racism. Yeah, I guess it's it's a funny word. It's an alliteration, reverse racism. So it's like the racism is reversed from the people that are normally doing it, right? And they're, they're the people that are receiving it. Yeah. Right. So it's, yeah. it's that's an interesting term as well. I think that's cl a clever term, reverse racism. But yeah, I think you know, it's it's persecuting any anyone based on their based on their inherent power struggle, like being inherent uh cl class power you know social status uh, status any of any of that hierarchy that's most of that stuff it's it's people haven't chosen that you know most of the people have not chosen that so yeah that that's i think uh i don't know i th I, th I think that's very uh un un unethical to do that 
Yeah, yeah it's interesting. It, I feel like it's supported to an extent in, in the American media. I mean, even the radical, or what is it? Uh, race theory, something critical yeah, race, critical theory. race theory. I mean, this is like, they're pumping that into our schools. Um, I mean, again, we're going through multiple levels of culture war in the U S and that's one of them. Um, is that it's actually being taught to children to think that because you're black, you are a victim of the oppressor who is white. And this is actually being taught to children as their brains are developing, getting their programming, right? It's reprogramming. And okay, you know, as adults, you and I could have a conversation about this, a serious conversation about the problems with racism and prejudice in our society. And I think it's a very important conversation to have. But at the same time, kids should be allowed to be kids, man. Like they, they're too young to be getting wrapped up in all that shit. Like that's the way I see it. It's like, so I'm wondering if he's talking about the critical race theory, which actually probably is because he does promise to, to get that out of the school systems. You know, uh, there's a big stand up on that. You know, there's even a lot of African-American families that are really angry about critical race theory. They're like, we don't want our kids thinking that shit, you know we want them to fight to believe if you start telling someone they're a victim they start to believe it so don't even say that no you 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 can be a victim if you choose to be but you can be anything you want nothing your color of your skin should not define you right it's the content of your character not the color of your skin uh to to quote yeah. i have a problem uh, with the critical race theory if if the narrative is you know, this is the in, the injustices of the past, and this is why everything is so broken today, and this is why we need to change everything, and this is why today we're not living in a society that's that's equitable. If that's a narrative that's taught, that's not that's a very destructive. It's creating hatred and and, and division, separation. It's not a very productive um, and hopelessness, right? Yeah, exactly. Victims, hopelessness, uh, apathy, anger, resentment. It's, it's, you know, that's, but if it's kind of like, well, let's understand how things have come together. Let's understand the reality and let's understand how society's progress from that time and how we can keep implementing positive change and, and implement growth and change, but, you know, you know, racial injustices, sexuality through all different aspects of society. Well, that's a great thing, but it's, it's not really much point um, giving kids, like you said, you know, sowing the seeds of resentment right where where we should be we should be applauding and celebrating the progress because i, I don't care what country you're in like if you're in, living in a western country like australia or the united states it's not the same country now that it was even 10 years ago i think you know 10 years ago we've had some radical changes uh or, or progress in the last 10 years 20 years 30 years you have when you're talking 50 years you know so much has changed in that time like and and the, these things are building momentum as more people in get educated or in the u.s or both i think both like in australia like gay marriage i'm pretty sure is legal now uh people are much more open towards sexuality uh much more educated about uh racism uh now in the school we, we teach a lot more about aboriginal um aboriginal culture tribes uh a lot of that stuff you, you know we've we've shifted and probably gone the other way to an extreme but you know what i see that's happening and what is the intention of it it's not to disrupt c 
current systems of power in a sub- subversive kind of way. It's it's really, a, I think, the force of it is to kind of, the, the underlying force and intention, the motivation is to make the country a better place, right? That's what it's for, I think, not to sow the seeds of resentment. So yeah, I think critical race theory, if I don't know what it's doing, I don't know how it's taught, but I think there's very clear distinction. If I was teaching slavery and and how it it's reverberated uh, in in the modern day society, I, I would want to be making those connections to the kids. This is where we were. This is what's happened. This is where we are, and we should be very very proud of the 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 the, the progress that we've made as a, as a society. There is still work to do, but look where we are now. And as Vivek said, he said it beautifully. If a black man was alive a hundred years ago and uh you know a black man that was alive a hundred years ago would be if if that person could be teleported today and walk down the street in New York City or any other city in the United States and you would you would hope that they what they envisioned as a fair free uh prospering uh, egalitarian society is what now currently exists that's what you would hope I think and I don't think it's that far off off that right now, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think that if we look at the world, well, I mean, from the stories of the past, like I, I wasn't there, but uh, I feel like throughout my whole life, it's been a pretty, and I'm 44, so uh, that's uh, almost a half a century, you know, and I just haven't really witnessed a lot of, you know, hate based on race or you know i think that there has been maybe a few experiences like when we're young but i think like again that's fueled by the media right they they you watch movies that have it and then you repeat the content that you've been well taught to think right um so anyways it's a very i think it's a very controversial topic in some respects because i i i agree with what you said that we're trying it is the intention is good behind this uh, trying to make a more equitable society for everybody or equal. Um, I don't really like the word equitable, but equal society for everyone where everybody is part, you know, of the family. I think that's very important, but there's always those like the, the radical side of things, the more extreme, like maybe we've, we're going too far too fast but uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, in fact, I'd probably want to move away from that one At, just for this. Uh, it's something we could talk about later in more detail. But OK, so number five. Uh, but there's also what we were talking about. Number six feeds into that. Um, but number five was uh, we're just going to brush just I'm just going to read it because um, I think it's pretty common sense. Uh, an open border is no border. Right. Um you know, and this, this, I'll give a quick overlap. The, the U.S. border, we have over 6 million illegal immigrants over the last two years. Um, and it's a huge problem. Um, and basically, I think it's just saying, yeah, you don't really have a house if there's no door. You know, like anybody can come in and take your food or anybody can come in. I mean, everybody, you know, so it's that's basically about building the wall build a wall, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's funny that the people that don't want a wall are the same people that lock their deadbolt, the three locks on their door at home. That's uh, pretty ironic. But uh, anyways, uh, well, passing that. So about the critical race theory, he, number six is parents determine the education of their children. 
So um, we can brush over this one too, but I mean, what do you think about that? So in the U.S., we have these unions and then the federal government. And the federal government's trying to homogenize the whole system to be one blanket system for all Americans. Uh, do you think that uh, parents should have the right to decide where their kids go to school, what they study? Or do you think that's more the, the, the government's role? Yeah, that's a tough one because I don't know if you can leave the judgment of the education of the state in the hands of the parents. Um, maybe you know, I feel like the words democracy and I feel like lots of discussions and a lot the, in the, in the purposeful nature of education and the sense of the greater picture of it. Um, you know, it's, I think that has to do with it because education can change um, embedded systems of hate uh, or, or, you know, conscious or unconscious biases that families are, are not really aware of, um, you know, maybe, maybe they should contribute. Maybe they should, there should be lots of open discussions. Uh, I think, I think it should be, it's, it's kind of a really tough question. The, 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 the shorter answer is, I don't know. It's more of a philosophical question than, um, than, a than anything else. I think what, what matters to the, to the education of, of a citizen What's the most important thing? Um, but I would think that in in the schools that I've worked at, being character schools, is like underlying the underlying thing is is the core values of the the citizen, right? We want good citizens, so I think that's the first thing. And then we want to build empathy and understand the world through through the like other real real stuff, right? Uh, real knowledge, history, ideas, all of that. So maybe that might be a little bit difficult for some parents to accept. So I think there's got to be, you know, I, I think the Ministry of Education should have something to do with that. I think it should reflect the the societal beliefs of that of that country or that state. Uh, it should also fit into what we want our our kids to be and how we want them to grow and what sort of people we want them to be. And then also like the the system should be also. I think a tool of, of change in progress as well. So it's a pretty hard question. So maybe parents, I think should have a say, I think they should have uh, an input. I think they should be able to, you know, if they want to um, be able to sort of engage with the ideas of curriculum and, and education, but I think it really should be, it should be a much bigger picture. And there's probably lots of, discussions and collaborations and 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 lots of foundational work that has to happen without it being too politicized right without it being too much on the left or the right or you know it's about it's too liberal or whatever um maybe we need some kind of healthy balance there and that's going to be really damn hard to establish in a very politicized polemic society so that's a tough one i don't think there's I don't think there's a straight answer there that people are going to agree on. Yeah, I I feel the same way as you. Um, it is a very complex. I mean, there's you can't just brush it over and make it a choice with this one, right? This is something that has to be discussed and thought deeply about. And I think that to give one example from either side, uh, so parents having complete control. I mean, you might have some like John Muir's dad, right? John Muir, his father was this radical Christian dude who actually was abusive. 
and forced his son to memorize the Bible. Like, I think that's what we're, what, that's the, that's the really, the darkest examples is that you have parents that want to push their identity onto their children uh, and say, there's no other way. And this does seem to happen with, unfortunately, uh, in the name of God sometimes, you know, but uh, that's pretty sad. That's another story. Um, but yeah, so that like parents don't know what kids need. Right. But Vivek is saying he wants to shut down the U.S. Department of Education. He said in the first certain amount of months, he will shut that shit down. He says it's the biggest problem um, that I'm not saying that parents I don't think he's saying that parents should educate their own kids. He's saying that they choose where they send their kids to school. I think that's what's going on. I guess the other side, so I gave you the example of the parent being maybe not educating correctly, maybe putting like making their child just like them. Uh, you also have what's happening in the U.S. right now, right? The U.S. Department of Education is you have to, if you want your funding, you have to push critical race theory and gender theory. That's the way you get your money now. And if you don't, if you aren't willing to teach that, you get your funds cut. And so they're being held bondage by this ideology. And you were saying like, yeah, education can be used in bad ways to program our kids to be the way we want them to be, whether it's good or bad, factory worker or CEO of a tech company. I don't know. But yeah, so I see this as a very complex, complicated, which leads us into the next, which these are kind of related, I think, in some ways. Uh, number seven, truth is that the nuclear family is the greatest form of governance known to mankind. So I think this works kind of together with number six, right? The parents determine the education, right? The parents should, well, they are the parents of the child. They should control it. Uh, now seven is yeah what do you think about that do you think that the nuclear family why is why would he say this what yeah, would trigger a statement I, I, like i'm this? a big believer in this one i think he's spot on i think that the the nuclear family is creating the the backbone of society with stability there's so many things happening in the nuclear family right i think number one it's it's ethical values being developed and and who you are as your identity as a person and your family group and these bonds being good people. I mean, that's number one. And that begins in the, in the, in the, in the family home with a, a strong, um, you know, I hate to say it, but strong mother figure, strong, you know, paternal figures, some paternal figures, siblings, and then, you know, interacting within that society first. And then, you know, then the children stretch out, they expand and they become part of, uh, become part of, their family, intermediate families, and then also community, right? And then also maybe even nationally, the country, right? So I think that's that's a no-brainer. I also think, what's the other one? Ethically, um, there was another one that came to mind in the sense of um, family ethics. Oh, like the, again, like as, as, as traditional as it's, it's as it's, as it might sound, is that having a, a strong father figure is a good thing. Having a strong mother figure, so these typical gender roles, um, allowing men and women to embrace the parts of their gender roles that are positive. Like when I talk about gender roles with my students, I say, is there anything wrong with being a strong father? Is there anything wrong with being a strong mother? Is there, any, is there anything wrong with a mother wanting a woman wanting to stay home with their children? 
The problem with gender roles is not the gender roles. The problem is when you are forced, shamed, obligated to be that thing, and there is no room. You know, there's oppression, and there's there's no there's no choice. There's no there's no choice, and there's no negotiation. So I think while you're choosing those things, and it works in the dynamics of the family, uh, they're they're very powerful things. So having a family with a, a a present mother and a present father, good role models, men teaching their children how to be, uh, you know, teaching their sons especially how to be son, how to be men, women teaching their daughters how to be women. Um, I don't know if there's a replacement for that, and I'll I'll rephrase that and, I th- and I'll say I I b- strongly believe there is no replacement for that because while that's happening in the formative years. You know, if if kids don't get that, they're perpetually um, I want to, disadvantaged. I think there's a lot of work, emotional work, psychological work that has to be done. You know, to kind of like to to fix that. So I think just with those two things alone, it's so important that we have strong families creating strong, empowered children to allow them to go into the world and be good people and form strong identities so that they can be impactful to their community. Yeah. What have I missed? Well, yeah, thank you. But is there anything that you can think of that I've missed in in talking about the power of these nuclear families? I was just, well, like what the the child experiences growing up, right? Um, The whole spectrum. Oh, I shouldn't say the spectrum. I shouldn't say the spectrum because it's not necessarily the spectrum at all, but it is the two poles of humanity, right? The the mass, the, you can't deny that there's masculinity, no matter how much we want to talk about toxic masculinity. Masculinity is a truth. It is there. You can't, you can see it in nature everywhere. And femininity is true too. But there was, <laughs> so I was just going to say, yeah, just the, like growing up, seeing these two different types of, this, you know, this range of human beings and the way they're so different, yet so united. And at times working out their problems, you know, to witness this over and over again. Okay. Well, I feel like with the atomic family, well, yeah. So governance, like, I think that, I think that what he's talking about is this problem like of call the police, vote in the savior of the United States. We need a savior, vote it in. But I think what he's saying is, no, you have to change. You, the atomic family, you are the government. Like in a sense that no one's going to take care of you like your own family, right? So I feel like (laughs) that's what he's talking about is everybody's trying to like change the country with a vote but they're not willing to put in the work themselves. And he's like, I need all of you. I, I, I can't do, I can't save you. I want to be your spokesman. I want to, I can do some certain things. And he outlines them, but he's like, but this is going to take all of us. This cannot just be some savior coming swooping down to remove you from your burdens and your ailments. Like this is you guys, you know? And so I think that that's all I would add is that, I think kids benefit by having both genders in the household and watching them interact for their human development. But it was interesting. At one point earlier on, you said, I hate to say it, but a strong father and a strong mother. Why? If I agree with you, Vivek, 
Vivek agrees with you. You agree with you. So why would you feel the urge to say, I hate to say it, but. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure. I think, um, I think sometimes people are, sometimes people are threatened by these, what seems to be like traditional, uh, old school, archaic values. That's like, oh, you know, we need a father, we need a mother, you know, you know, you can't, you know, people have the opposed. Well, I guess what's the opposing belief that people would be um, disrespected? I guess, and 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 that's what it is. I think, you know, like the idea that you can have a family and a woman raised- can raise her children by herself. That yeah, that's, or even that's a- two two women or two men, right? And then what happened? Then they would say that you know the argument would be that a, a, a young person, a child raised by two men would be just as equipped or just as nurtured as uh, a child raised by a man and a woman. I don't know. Is that true? Maybe if they're, if they're getting the masculine and the feminine off both people, it, it just, maybe it feels safe for me to say a man and a woman. Uh, I don't know. I'm just thinking out aloud here. I don't want to be disrespectful to other people that are, you know, the, the man and the man, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think, what it is is when you say that. I hate to say it because I feel like this is right, and I feel the other stuff could be not as effective. And then I'm what I'm doing in that situation is that I'm kind of at some level criticizing and criticizing their ability to be parents. And I, I think I'm not sure if I want to do that. If that makes sense. But I don't think you were doing that. So sorry, I put you on the spot like that. But uh, I just found it very interesting. The 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 what do you call it? The hesitation. Uh, no, no, the disclosure at the beginning, right? The disclosure mm-hmm. and the apologetics right out the gate before you can speak your mind. And I am not judging you. I do it too. But mm-hmm. I don't think that that's very. I don't know. It's like it's kind of. Is it useful? Maybe it's we, we need to stop. Well, maybe maybe it's useful. It just it just instead of you being certain of your beliefs, you are questioning. We are questioning our own beliefs. Like, mm-hmm. are we maybe we're wrong? Maybe we're hurting someone? Like, oh my God, here we go again. I do it all the time. You've you've told me many times in messages, like, John, you gotta quit being apologetic. Like I don't know why you do that. And you've said that to me, and I remember it, and you're right. Um, but it was just interesting because I saw it like, I think for sure that a man and a woman, I mean, that's what makes the child uh, in the first place. And then, you know, that's just the way I see it. But like to have to give disclaimers, not disclosure, sorry, disclaimers uh, is weird, right? We're like wasting time talking about why we could be wrong and that we don't want to hurt people's feelings. Well, it's interesting because Vivek says a lot of people in politics want to compromise and they say that true leadership is being able to compromise vivek says no that's a lie he's like we need to be uncompromising so he's very like no you're not going to compromise because if you compromise then you still have the moles inside you still have the bad ideas inside no we need to shut this shit down and it's pretty he's pretty amazing watching him but sorry to to point the light at you like that. But I was actually just drawing that out because I see myself doing it all the time. 
And then I'm like, I feel stupid to myself. I'm like, why did I apologize for that? I never did anything wrong. You asked me a question and I'm just responding. Why do I feel bad about my response? Oh, that's right. Because we've been conditioned to be worried about what everybody thinks. Um, you know, instead of being honest, uh, yeah, we're fearful that we're kind of not doubting, but we are questioning our own inner truth when we come out and say, everybody, I apologize really quick, but I feel this way, right? It's a very uh, compromising thing to do. So yeah, let's move it's, on it's quick. Definitely, I, definitely weakens your stance as well. Yeah, it does. It makes it makes the listener, and I'm not critiquing us, but I kind of am. It's just on the spot. Mm. It makes the listener go, well, how credible is this source, right? When they aren't like sincere and straightforward on their answer. Um, but I'm not, yeah, just an observation, man, just came out. So we're going to skip the last two. I'll read over them, but there's just one last one I want you to, to ask you about, because uh, I know that you support communist China and uh, <laughs> hey, man, I'm that's totally a secret. Joking. That's a secret. And I, I, there's a disclaimer there somewhere. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, but, uh, by the way, guy, no, Stephen does not do that. I was just not openly being, anyway, not openly. <laughs> uh, but why I said that was because uh, there's, I think is Australia is a, a very socialized country. Yes. When you say socialist, like from socialism, like yeah, yeah, like socialist. It's a socialist country. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. I think we have lots of uh, socialism embedded within our systems of government. Yeah, I think that's a fair call. Because Vivek is saying that capitalism lives lifts people out of poverty, and he goes further by saying it is the greatest economic system the world has ever known. And there's a lot of people like the U.S. is kind of like at that point right now where like we're tr like it almost seems like we're trying to become socialist. Like and I shouldn't say we because most of the people aren't. It's just a small minority. Uh, reminds me a lot of the uh, Bolshevik revolution, but not violent yet. But this minority dominating everything and taking over and trying to reshape the government. And that's just the way, I mean, I read, when I read Animal Farm, it makes me think of the United States. Like, it's just amazing. But he's saying, yes, the capitalism lifts people up from poverty and it is the greatest economic system to date. Would you agree with that? Yeah, without any apologies, as a blanket statement, no. I think capitalism itself as a system pure, unchecked, unguarded, uh, ruthless capitalism doesn't because I think there's too much inequality. I think there's, there's too much, um, there's, 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 there's not enough, um, there's, there's not enough checks and balances to ensure all the wealth doesn't flow in one direction. All right. And I, and, and even in today where there's because of strata class, because of classes of strata, socialism, um, stratification, I, I think when you have capitalism in its purest form, it becomes it dehumanizes the individual. It it doesn't provide support or scaffolding to kind of bump people up and allow them to be competitive. And I think it's just too ruthless. But I think capitalism, the way I would change that, capitalism with a few checks and balances, you know, capitalism with a few, let's say, a um, little bit of little bit of help for the people that need a little bit of help. 
and that's my Australian ideology kind of kicking in in the sense that we we as a country think that everyone should have a go everyone should have access to opportunities everyone should be able to be wealthy but at the same time that if you come from a poor family then let's let's help you so that you can achieve that great Australian dream and so you don't have to do it all on your own but at the same time too is that you don't want to you don't want a system a capitalist system that is is so socialist or it becomes like companies can't fail or there's there's lots of control with with governments saying that you know certain companies can do this but other companies can't do that uh and then choking the the thriving nature the competitive nature of capitalism right because i think capitalism thrives because it's it's naturally it it garners competition between individuals and in between uh between companies right so what is it meritocracy you know meritocracy is rewarded uh, the individual skills are rewarded uh you know the, the hard work is rewarded and also the, this power to transcend through class which is extremely appealing and powerful and, and uh, you know attractive and it's a it's a great thing so i think capitalism is fantastic yes but i think as an unchecked system not so much for the the people that start at the economic bottom of the barrel but i think it doesn't take too much you know if you give people a you give you give people that are born that born in poverty you give them access to health give them access to education give them access to some you know and but the problem is as well creating dependency but you give them some help and i think they can be successful with with but they don't need to be you can't let them get dependent so it's a tough one because who says how much help you know how much do you meddle within capitalism but yeah well let me ask you man do you think that capitalism it should be kind of wild and free and savage and you know the and 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 kind of like this 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 kind of jungle of of capitalism and and um the best man company wins or or do you do you believe in the checks and balances and the and and the kind of ethical obligations or mandatory um, restrictions sometimes or contributions sometimes to to kind of create uh like what is it access of like equality of opportunity not equality of outcome um good question i checks and balances need to be in place but i think that that's a natural like so it is complicated but i i would say not you said a savage um version of capitalism no no i don't think that we should allow people to get too rich i mean it's happening right now with uh, the tech companies right you got this small group of people that own all the technology companies in silicon valley uh and around the, that part uh, and all these guys uh well, really, they're a, a power, right? Just by themselves, and they shut down everybody else. How come there isn't a new YouTube? Well, because they're not allowed to. They're, it's just too hard to fight Google. They have the money, they have the lawyers, they have intimidation, and they even have the federal government on their side. Uh, so, yeah, I, I need there needs to be checks and balances. I, I don't like the idea of monopoly. I, I like the game. I like the game, the board game, but not the real thing, Monopoly. Um, <laughs> I think it's destructive. Um, it's, it's unfair. But 
uh, if the checks and balances are there, yeah, I think it's an excellent system because I do believe like, I mean, being a teacher, you know that you can inspire your kids pretty easily by getting them to compete, right? Even disengaged students, once there's the game and you're in competition, they get more excited, right? They just do. It's like a natural phenomenon. They just, so that's why we always have games and competitions in classrooms because it's fun for them, um, at least over here in Thailand, uh, you know, but I mean, we all like games um, and games are about winning usually. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I, I think that there's no difference like between unchecked capitalism and unchecked communism, like in China perhaps, or unchecked socialism. Because in socialism, there's still billionaires. What, what, how's that? How's that possible? You got these. Or is it equal... pure socialism, right? Or is it pure capitalism? Or, or no, no, is, like is, is it really? Yeah, but even in let's say communist countries or like Cuba, for example, they are the way communist and we or some kind of socialism. But then they have, then they have rich people. How does that yeah. work? Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. Is like I, that's like so. Can we avoid these ruthless people that always end up on top with the majority of the resources? I don't know. Uh, you know, Venezuela was, you know, uh, socialist, and then communist or whatever. And uh, China, and you do have these extremely wealthy people. Um, but I don't know, it's, it's complicated. I think that it's a human error rather than a syst systemic error um, with capitalism. But I do believe in meritocracy. Um, and I do believe in um, rewarding hard work right work ethic and and competition's good because we were we were talking earlier about the electric car versus the tr conventional uh vehicle and literally they are trying to shut it down like big time in the US the the current administration wants to do away with all conventional vehicles but what happens how do we improve the electric vehicle when there's no competition the electric vehicles can continue to like destroy the world or the industry, right? Because there's not going to be any competition, anybody to make them more efficient, anyone to be the, you know, the opposite, the choice, the alternative. Um, <clears throat> and by having an alternative, I think it keeps like, let's keep with the example, the electric car company to start realizing how much emissions they are actually producing they're just moving the emissions they're not eradicating it they're just shifting it to be hidden um and i think that if you have a competition like this other vehicle well you want to ultimately be less emissions but if you get rid of the conventional now you just a bunch of electric cars and they don't have to compete to be the most efficient. So anyways, yeah, it is very complicated, man. I've never thought of my person myself as an economics guy. But, uh, you know, and I don't know. I grew up in a capitalist society. And I grew up on the shorter end of the stick. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. So it's not like I – but I'm not mad at capitalism because of that. At the same time, I had a great education, man. Probably world class. One of the best at a public school, um, which is insane. And, you know, the U.S. is a lot more social than people think. I mean, FDR created the New Deal, right? So we do have unemployment. We do have food stamps. We do have women, infants, and children. We do have Medicaid. We do have Medicare. So it's actually quite socialized, uh, but not. it's not socialist, but it has some socialized social safety nets, so to speak. Um, 
Yeah, man. So yeah. I don't know. There is there is I, an I argument just... to, to, to run off the back of what you're saying. And to add to that, there is an argument that says that just by nature, you know, with humans and with capitalism, the way that the game monopoly works, which is the same as capitalism, by nature is that the money ends up flowing in the hands of a minority. But that's just how cap that just happens because of just because of the the system. So maybe that's an inherent flaw, or that's just the way that happens. But I think it's that's kind of proven. But I'm not sure if that's always going to be a bad thing either, because if if some of those companies end up owning a lot more, it's kind of like winning the game of capitalism. Is that a problem? Maybe. Um, maybe another way to look at it is through the individual instead of the collective and say, okay, uh, in the game of capitalism, you know, like Jordan Peterson, I heard talking about this is that, you know, you, in, in, when you play games with your buddies, the, the game has to be challenging enough that you, you want to play and, and not too difficult that you want to just skip out. It's Vygotsky's proximal zone of development as well. Uh, and I think life is the same. You know, you want to play. That's how you play the game of life is you want to be able to achieve things and, and win things and conquer and 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 get things done and, you know, feel the sense of accomplishment and win the game as long as you feel like the energy that you put in, you know, over a lifetime is worth what you get back, right? So I think as every, if everyone yeah. felt like that, that I'm willing to work my ass off, because I want my helicopter or Ferrari, or I want my whatever it is, I want my house on the beach or, you know, my family paid for, then guess what? Everybody's happy. It's because, you know, it's it's achievable goals within that system. And I think while that exists, then capitalism is fantastic. You know, I want to, my goal is, for example, in the next 15 years, I want to buy an apartment in Malta and I want to move there when I'm in my 50s and I want to be able to listen to the beach and live on the island and just chill out uh, and basically work at a school or at some institutes there. And it's that's got to be, if, if that's not achievable for me to be able to buy an apartment in 15 or 20 years, then, I, you know, that would be um, very disheartening. But I think while we can keep aiming for goals and achieving them, then we should be grateful that that's possible with, with where we live and, and the society that we're a part of. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'd just like to add that, you know, I guess if if a form, because we, we were saying that in socialized countries, there are always some rich people. And so how do like, is there still a ladder kind of like, I mean, how do those people become rich or were they just rich during the transition? Like, so there seems like there's still some capitalism allowed even within um, socialism. Would you? You say that's fair? Or? Yeah, because no system of socialism that I think exists is pure socialism. So it's a blend of capitalism or and socialism. I think that's one reason. Or the other reason could be really simply is that the system is corrupt, like Cuba and communism. Like I've been to Cuba three times and living in that country or being there, it's it's like the ideas of equity and the ideas of wealth distribution are beautiful um, but the reality of making it happen just by sheer corruption has meant that the poorer people, which is most people, are exploited. So then the, the it's not the ideology that's the issue. It's actually the it's the corruption of the government that's exploiting the people that are the issue. So but it goes the, back to the people, doesn't it? it yeah. Goes back to the human nature. 
And this is something I try to tell people, talk, I always insert this talking point when people start like getting anti-religious are blaming historical events on religion. Mm. I'm like, dude, don't blame religion, blame humans. Because even if you take away all gods, if there's no God, you want to throw out that story for all humanity? Okay, you think it's going to be a better world? I wonder if it'd be better. I don't think so. In fact, I know in my heart, it would be way worse. So it's like, it's human condition. Yeah, I don't feel like condition. it is... Like, I, I don't feel like it is uh, socialism versus capitalism. I believe it's the people that end up on top. We will always have lions, no matter how nice and helpful and forgiving and loving we make the sheep in our flock. It's not going to change the fact that there's wolves out there. It's, it's just not. You can't tame the wolf. It will not. So basically, we weaken the rest of society in the benefit of the wolves for the benefit of the wolf, right? Because they're not going to keel over for an economic system. They're, they're, they're too aggressive for that. They're too combative. That's their nature. So anyways, I just wanted to throw that out there. I think that's yeah, a strong, I don't know. It's a, it's a strong argument. I think it's a really strong argument because it's the, you can't take the human nature out of the humans. You can't take the human condition out. And if you read Harry Potter, which I'm doing at the moment, and maybe I'm doing life all wrong, you know, basically Lord Voldemort says very simply, there's either people that have power or people without power and good and bad doesn't exist. So, you know, I say that tongue in cheek, but you know, there's, that's another ideology that it's, that's seems ridiculous for some people, but it's not, you know, like good and bad doesn't matter when it's, it's, you either have power and you're executing it and, and, and using it by dominating people or you're being subject, sub, subjugated or subjected by someone else's power and then you're you're the victim of that so maybe that's the and that could be another lens but that's a reality of of being human and that's not going away anytime soon it doesn't matter what system that you try to establish you know to to prevent that it's you know i don't think that's possible right yeah yeah see yeah man lord voldemort i've been doing life all wrong <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Well, man, this is a great conversation. I know that you it's getting late, but I'm just going to really quick touch over. I'm just going to read them, but they're kind of uh, cultural centric, ethnocentric. The last two, eight, uh, nine and ten. And uh, nine is that there are three branches of U.S. government, not four. So this is going back to the Constitution, right? The checks and balances that you're talking about. That's why mm -hmm. we have three branches and what does he mean by four he's talking about the administrative state so like as what are you the know, three the again the three is the ones that the, the the judge the court what is what are they again the three so the president so the executive okay executive then there's the, the legislative yeah, which the is legislative. the senate okay right they pass the laws and then there's the judicial the judicial and the judicial passes off on the laws. So the president executes, right? Him and his cabinet execute. And there's a lot they can do. And that's what Vivek is saying is like, I don't have to go through Congress to do this. He's educating the Americans on their constitution saying, no. And he, he has the, the, the laws up under his truths. Very interesting. <clears throat> but he's saying, um, yeah, so 
executive is the president. They can do a bunch of stuff. Then you have the legislature, right, to legislate law, which is the Senate. And then you have the judicial, which is the Supreme Court in the justice system. That's it. Unfortunately, we also have this thing called the DOJ, the Department of Justice, which is not actually part of the judicial branch. It's just some department that was created by one of our presidents. And then you have, um, is a, is so a, there's just a few, the, the FBI, the FBI worked, you know, with, it's it's all known now. So none of this is hearsay. None of this, this is all fact. Does it include uh, as well the, the media? No. Yeah, because well, the, no, 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 no. The media like is not the, the part fourth of the being like uh, the media, or I thought it might mean as well, like uh, like no, other... the people that yeah. claim to be a part of the government. So, like okay. the Department of Justice, the you know, he says he's going to shut down the FBI, the Department of Justice, the Department of Education, the Nuclear Regulation Act. He's trying to get rid of all of these that say they're unconstitutional and they're playing this role as government agents. Like we have now, and you can ask any left-wing media, basically across the board, everybody knows that the FBI pressured Facebook and Twitter to censor conservatives. They just know it. It's, it's, it's fact now. It's not hearsay, um, any of that. Um, it was testified in Congress in front of the whole government. So like it is, we all know and accept now that, the, yeah, these agencies manipulated social media and in effect censored what the people were reading before an election. That's not good. So they shouldn't be doing that. They should be serving the people of the democracy, not controlling the people of the democracy. So that's why he's saying, shut that shit down. And I hope he does. And he says he can do that by himself because they're, um, he has a word for it, but he, she walks through the laws with it. I mean, this dude is on fire. Um, okay. The last one is the U.S. Constitution is the strongest guarantor of freedoms in history. Again, that's a little ethnocentric, but a lot of people do look up to our Constitution all over the world. Um, and I just want to say why I believe that's kind of true. I would say that the Bible is actually. But um, let's. this is non-religious and we need everybody to share a story, right? And there's always going to be people that don't believe. So I believe that the constitution is the greatest because it's so inclusive. It's whoever's a citizen gets these, uh, this support, this safety and protection. Whereas the Bible, I'm a big fan. I love it. I consider it truth. Uh, but the Bible, you know, if you're on the wrong side of God, you might get smitten. You know what I mean? And so that's the problem with the religious side of things. Again, human beings are controlling the story and bending it to whatever way they want. And so when you insert God, you push a lot of people away. Not me, but a lot of people. Um, and so I think that the Constitution is a secular document that basically says that God created you equal. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it. They slipped God in there. They had to for, you know, because you want to keep everybody in. But anyway, so those are the, his 10 um, truths. Um, if you want, you can say something on the Constitution, what you think about it. Uh, but otherwise, that's a very American, right, uh, centered thing. Um, but hopefully that this guy is, I don't know, at least shakes up the show. I mean, he's saying things. He's making people talk about stuff that they otherwise wouldn't. Yeah. 
I think all of these 10 truths are great things to remind Americans about some of their, maybe their obligations, responsibilities, and, and also things that bring the country together and maybe the power of some of somewhat, you know, embracing the, the traditional or the nationalistic in ways that are, are, are really empowering. Right. So like, I really liked what you said about how that maybe it's time that the individual and the, the family again has has thrusted that responsibility back on them to say listen well, you you have to also fix your your own situation you have to take control of your family um there's lots of things that you can do to be better for the country it starts with that so i agree man i think these are just the way he says it i think is that uh the united states is going through an identity crisis uh and i i think that's all this maybe it's like a huge crucible where there's, there's a burning of, of ideas and, and conflict and, and out of that emerges something almost new. If, if a lot of people can come together instead of, you know, constantly being torn apart by division. So yeah, I, I see it as something really positive, positive, even if it can be quite controversial, but I think it's really, po you know, pretty positive really. And uh, I hope that, yeah, I hope that you guys have a strong leader in the next, you know, in the next election that can bring the country together and remind, uh, remind a lot of Americans of what they already know, which is, you guys are living in a, a powerhouse country with an amazing amount of opportunity, and you should be grateful to be born in that country because there's a million people, there's probably a billion people or more that that would kill to be in that country and have access to those opportunities that you guys have. Um, yeah. So I think that's and and also remembering the history of the United States to think about how the birth of those the, that country and the ideas that was founded upon is such a powerful, amazing thing that it's been, you know, the United States of America uniting all these different states with one common goal, one identity to a, to have um, this 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 new and kind of it's a crazy experiment that is is, you know, empowering the people uh, in, in such great ways. So just looking at how the country was formed, the ideas, the philosophy, how many great things have occurred from the United States, the great force that it's been. Um, yeah, it's just a, a reminder to, to maybe stepping back and, and coming together instead of ripping each other apart and uh, appreciating that and then working to go forward instead of, uh, instead of thinking about how do we make people pay and, and living in resentment and apathy so yeah man i enjoyed the conversation it was it was fun thanks for asking me what i thought of these 10 or most of these truths that was cool for me uh it was it helped me kind of clarify some things too and maybe solidify some ideas that uh, i wasn't quite as certain about until now so i appreciate that yeah man no it was good i just i i i think it's a very different approach and i wanted to get your feedback on what you thought if you yeah like whether you thought this could be a unifying attempt at unity right um a unifying 10 truths i think he's i mean man when you saw this if you would have watched this second debate you would just be disappointed i'm sure you've seen bad political con like uh events like this but it was just everybody talking about the other person in the past 
You know what I mean? And one of Vivek's slogans is everybody's running from something in the, in the Republican party. The thing that I'm different, he says, is that I'm not running from something. I'm running to something. And so he says that over and over again. And that's why like last night, or it wasn't last night, a couple of nights ago, he was up there saying, guys, guys, everybody's arguing like little bickering children about curtains curtains that were bought and expensive and i'm just like oh my god he's like guys and he's the young guy right and they all keep pointing that out and he's like guys can we just talk about policy but you can't really you can hear him but like there's two people arguing on either side of him with each other so he's in the middle and he's like dude so anyways i hope this guy yeah we need a character like this to kind of bring it back to the old you know traditional sense but uh, man, it's late. I'm sorry I kept you up so late, and I probably should go too. Um, but yeah, man, great discussion. Uh, thanks for joining me, and let's get another one soon, another podcast, something, maybe a poem. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, man, great chatting to you as well. You take care, and uh, yeah, man, always always enjoy the chats. Thanks, brother. All right, man. <laughs>